in Germany where education is basically free and women are empowered and encouraged to enter more male-dominated subjects, the rate is significantly below a country like China. And there's only one reason for that. People often reject to believe what they don't understand or what scares them. With Dragonfolio China, you have the unique chance to truly understand a frequently misconceived country and an inevitable shift in the 21st century. Just lean back and enjoy a fascinating journey through China that will astonish and reward you. Nimenhao guys and welcome to another episode of the Dragonfolio China podcast. My name is Eric and today I want to talk about women, women in China in particular, but it is not about their social role or about their physical attractiveness or anything like that. I simply want to compare a bit um, the entrepreneurship there, jobs, working environment, and why I think that China is way ahead of us in this field where we speak of emancipation, women in business and economy. It's a pretty interesting topic, so you should definitely stay tuned. But first, as it became kind of a tradition here now, I'm going to give you a short update uh, about myself, about my life in regards to China, what I'm doing and what's up these days. Because I am actually back in Asia, but not the Asia you might think of, to be honest. And um, some might even argue it's not real Asia. And this is because I'm in Georgia. Uh, for my US listeners especially, it's not the American Georgia, but the one next to Russia in the middle of the Caucasus. Um, actually, yesterday we did a really nice trip close to the Russian border. And uh, yeah, Georgia is basically at the intersection of Eastern Europe and Western Asia. The Caucasus itself is often considered to be kind of the border of Europe and Asia. So the country technically, if you look up the definition, it is located in Asia and West Asia, by definition at least. Um, and yeah, while you find already a couple of Asian elements, my experience so far is that culturally, it is rather Europe. If you look at things like um, architecture, mentality, especially the mentality reminds me really of a couple of uh, East Europe countries that I have been to. Um, but of course, they have also, yeah, if you look at some food like the Kinkali, that's like their, their chowds, their um, dumplings that are influenced from China, at least that's what... But, uh, yeah, what I heard, I think Georgians might not agree, they might say it's their own food. So there's some influence from the former Silk Road, um, obviously from also from the Middle East, uh, from, from Russia. A lot of cultures meet here these days, uh, more than more than ever, perhaps. So it's uh, it's pretty interesting here. People here are also super hospitable, friendly. They have this I would say sort of, um, yeah, uh, mentality that I know from, from, from Russians or something. They're quite, they're quite straight. They might seem a bit cold, uh, also impolite at first glance, but actually they're, they're quite open and quite, uh, quite kind. 
So it's it's pleasant to, to stay here for a couple of weeks, months. I'm not sure yet because, as I said last time, China is out of the question this year. So remain many other Asian countries in, in East Asia and Southeast Asia. But I want to keep exploring the world and at the same time have a place where I can stay a bit longer and Georgia is a perfect spot for that. They also have a bigger expat community here. They have a very solid infrastructure a business-friendly environment, and perhaps two things that um, I like in particular here. Um, one is the convenience, and that reminds me really of uh, some Asian countries such as China, that you have a lot of convenience stores, you have supermarkets open 24-7 a lot at least. You have a very convenient delivery environment, uh, you can order everything online, uh, even COVID tests uh, that come to your, to your door and, and whatever you can think of. And the other aspect, which I like as well, that's hard to find in China, to be honest, is the uh, low level of bureaucracy and uh, fast administration, whether it's a bank account, whether it's a, a doctor appointment or um, any anything that you have to schedule, even opening businesses, which I didn't do yet, but um, what other people told me, it's it's extremely simple. Uh, very efficient so there are a lot of advantages here that you might not think of but it's it's pretty 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 nice language partly maybe the major challenge the language here can be a struggle to be honest it's not super bad but of course you have different characters that makes it already difficult you cannot read georgian georgian is different from any other language younger people speak um, fluent english normally i would say at least most of them so that's okay. Older people, not so much. Um, they speak Russian here and the chance is higher that they speak German than English, to be honest, like taxi drivers. Many people have been to Germany. They always had good relations with Germany business-wise. And yeah, so this this is sometimes a bit, bit tougher. You can use apps and you don't really need it that much, but it's, it's just something you should know that uh, can be a bit difficult sometimes, but not really that makes uh, life much worse here. So with this being said, let's get started with the main topic today. Um, the reason why I chose um, this topic like women in China uh, for this episode is that I feel like our society is so full of this whole discussion about gender equality, female quota, and even if you don't participate like me in this whole debate, it's getting pretty annoying. And last week when I was doing some analysis about uh, Yum China, Yum China is a company that holds all the license of fast food chains such as KFC, Pizza Hut and so on in China. I was, uh, I realized that the CEO of this company is a female. And um, today when I was reading some article, I just heard, oh, the new CEO of JD Retail. JD is one of the largest logistics and retail firms across China. Um, was just nominated. She's also a woman. And I hear this so frequently when I do my investment analysis and when I read stuff about China. I read, read and hear this so frequently that actually women are in absolutely top management positions. One of my favorite, I tell you, I tell you at the end of the podcast, I read her biography. She's super interesting. She's one of the absolute um, role models for, for many in China. She's very successful. Um, 
And so I was already realizing this a while ago and was thinking, oh my God, how ridiculous is it that China has, has already this kind of natural quota while uh, we discuss so much about it. And here it seems like in the West sometimes it became a new hobby for many people just to to um, yeah make a start a debate and companies spend literally millions if not billions I think it's the millions to force women into management positions. I observed that a while ago already the contrast is huge. I was working for a large German company and they already put all their effort into into that. Uh, bringing as many women into management positions as possible to satisfy shareholders. And then when I came to China, in particular Shanghai, for example, my first spot, where women basically rule the city business-wise, absolutely true, Shanghai is crazy, I realized there are so many women in leading positions. And, and why is that? Why is there such a big difference? One very naturally much higher, one very artificial not really successful. Um, and to give you some statistics here, China is the country with the most women who have worked their way up to become billionaires on their own. The Shanghai Research Institute Hurun shows that well over half of all women entrepreneurs with assets of more than 1 billion come from China. China has the highest self-made billionaire rate in the world, while in America, for example, around 53% of American tech companies have women in top positions. China has over 80%. And some of the most innovative companies like Alibaba and Baidu have a split in the overall workforce of about 50-50, much higher than most other tech companies. And if you look at the overall picture, 80% of women in China are employed and 20% of them, that's really stunning, 20% are the main supplier at home. Therefore, I thought I have to get to the bottom of it and understand why this is exactly the case. And I came up with three different reasons for that. The first is performance. As I said, in China, it has always been a natural process. Women were never forced into positions. And this is because in business, especially in private business, all that matters is your personal performance, your contribution to the company in order to maximize the wealth of this company and to make money. Everything else, such as gender, is secondary. And so it doesn't matter whether you're a guy or a girl, as long as you are the right fit. And as long as you are successful in what you're doing, you can achieve everything. It doesn't really matter what gender you belong to. And to prove that, that performance matters in China much more, look at the age of Chinese managers. In Chinese companies, you will see much younger managers. A lot of them are less than 40 years old and that's inconceivable for top management positions at large companies in the West. Absolutely impossible. Basically never happens. Very, very rare. In China, it's, it's, it's common. It's very normal. And it's because age doesn't matter and the same applies to gender. So 
That means if women are better than men in a particular field, role, they are preferred and it naturally leads to a higher proportion of women rather than men. The second reason is mentality. As I mentioned in some episodes, I believe that Chinese in general have a much, how to say that, they don't have such a complainer mentality compared to other countries. Chinese people in general are less jealous, they, co- they tend to complain less about external circumstances and rather try to achieve things by their own. And that means if you don't have enough money, for example, you need to find ways to change that. And that is what many women exactly did. It can mean to sacrifice a lot of things, such as maybe your family life and so on. But while the West has endless discussions about gender equality, women in China just act. Nobody ever asked there for a higher proportion of females in certain positions. That's not because they are scared, but because they know that's the fastest and most efficient way. Move your ass and deliver performance and don't complain. Rather act and convince people by your work and you're going to succeed. Reason number three is the interest and need. And I'm going to explain this. This is a bit more complex, but actually easy to understand. If you look at the share of female students in China, around um, 53% of undergrads are female. Um, On the master level, it's already 50-50. And on a PhD level, it's about 39%. And that is not too special, to be honest. Um, If you you look up the uh, US statistics, you see there are on a similar level, if not even higher. I think in the US, for example, you have like 60% of uh, graduates are are girls it's it's pretty high these days so you can say overall education level is um might be even higher for for girls uh, without doubt these days they are often they study much harder and are at least in in in, let's say in in this sense uh, might be even more ambitious when it comes to achieving a degree certain educational goals but then if you look at um, other statistics it becomes more obvious where maybe the difference is. And an important factor here are these so-called STEM students. So STEM means science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. And here we see a much bigger difference. And I only have statistics here from China and from some European countries. But I think it becomes clear what I mean. In, uh, in China, women make up around 30% of the overall STEM students. So it means they actually remain quite underrepresented in this field, right? So 70% males, 30% women. But um, here's the thing. If you look at, for example, Central Europe, three countries that are very famous for the engineering and very famous for being very emancipated. Women, account for just 9% of all technical degrees in Germany compared with 12% in Switzerland and 13% in Austria, according to the OECD. I repeat it, in Germany where education is basically free and women are empowered and encouraged to enter 
more male-dominated subjects, the rate is significantly below a country like China. And there's only one reason for that. There's an apparent lack of female interest. So it shows that in developed countries, women still choose their traditional professions. So these professions which they are more interested in. And these are, generally speaking, more socially related, such as psychology, literature, language related. And the reason is that they can afford it. They can afford to do these subjects because you, they are free. They don't have the need or pressure to earn a lot of money because at the end, these jobs, they pay lower salaries. Yeah, let's face it. People choose what they like to do. At the end, if, if you are totally free to do whatever you want, it means you choose what you feel like is best for you. And the market does not lie. You cannot manipulate these, these figures if, if, it's, if it's fairly free. And don't get me wrong, all these subjects are very great and they have huge importance for a society. But if you study those subjects, it usually will not qualify you to run a multi-billion company. I think we're also all on the same page here, right? So it means with these subjects, you have a lower probability to become a self-made billionaire or to reach some top management position. And one of the main reasons why China has more STEM students uh, more female STEM students is it gives you better opportunities in a very competitive environment. In China, you have a higher pressure for girls to achieve something. They know with a ordinary degree in, I don't know, Chinese language, I'm not competitive enough to reach a very high position or to achieve what I want to do. And to emphasize this, I give you an example of one of my favorite authors. He's, uh, his name is Rainer Zittelmann. He's a German author. A lot of his books are translated into many languages, by the way. And uh, I was, I was very lucky. Recently, I was able to join uh, one of his events in Berlin. It was like a, a, a joint dinner with, um, with, other, with other readers. And he invited us um, for, for a dinner. Super nice, uh, great experience. And he told us a story because we were also talking a lot about China. And he said, generally, 90% of his readers and followers, um, including the event I went to and all the seminars and so on, they are male because they are more interested in these topics. So he talks a lot about uh, self-development, about business, about uh, entrepreneurship about real estate investment and whatever you can think of so he said normally eight max 80 rather 90 percent are male yeah? and then a few years ago he held a similar event in china i think it was in shenzhen if i remember correctly first what surprised him very much was that it was on a friday evening and despite uh, it being a friday night at a university the entire uh, assembly hall was fully booked. It was absolutely packed. He said that would never happen in Germany on a Friday night at any university. So many students would show up. And then secondly, he said it was very well mixed. It was around 50-50. If you just look at the audience, he said 50% young men, 50% young women. Also very different. And that is just one example of the interest 
that uh, women have in, in China also for these subjects. So the main reasons why women are so successful and yeah, somehow powerful in China is acceptance for performance, the mentality of rather acting than complaining, and then third is the high level of interest based on a need to succeed in a very competitive environment. And one thing is important for the sake of completeness, because I already hear people saying, yeah, how about politics, Eric? I don't see any women there. Yeah, that's true. In China, in politics, women have very little impact. Well, impact mm, is questionable, but at least they're not really in powerful positions, as opposed to Hong Kong and, and Taiwan, um, we have we have some some women in leading positions, but in in China definitely not. And I also don't think that it's going to change anytime soon. However, if you look a bit on the history, then you see that there were always, always powerful women in China. Whether you take Chiang Kai-shek, whether you take Mao, whether you take Xi, they always had very powerful women and very strong women. A lot of their um, wives were celebrities or had other powerful backgrounds. They had a lot of influence on society and certainly also on their husbands. Um, I have read all of their biographies. If you read uh, whether it's Mao or Chiang Kai-shek, then you definitely know that these women were some of the most powerful women ever on earth, at least temporary. And they had certainly influence on their husbands and therefore also on politics. So to say that China have in China, there's no influence from women on politics is wrong. But of course, the, the Communist Party in China is very much male dominated, no question for historical reasons. And I think that this is not going to change. So in this podcast, obviously, I was most referring to business, which is a huge part of today's world, private business. But don't think that everywhere else, it's only only guys. Okay, so let me briefly summarize it a bit. So in, in China, with the basically opening up of the economy, when the private economy um, really started to evolve, businesses were flourishing. It also meant that it was a natural launch of the emancipation. It was kind of a revolution in many cities, especially Shanghai. Of course, in Beijing, as I just said, it's more Beijing is more political, it's more male dominated, but a lot of cities like Shenzhen, Shanghai are very influenced by, by female entrepreneurship and, and women often even determine uh, which way to go. And I really believe that everyone should be able to do what he or she believes is the best for for oneself for what what serves one's own needs in the best possible way everyone should have the same rights to do that not the same conditions it's not the same thing often often mixed up and personally i had two yeah two female bosses in my life they were absolutely great they showed everything that you would expect from a manager they showed great management skills leadership empathy and they were certainly not managers because of their gender however i have to admit that this is more and more changing in many companies in the west because a lot of companies are extremely driven to satisfy their shareholders with these female quota 
and that means at the end that gender is valued higher than performance and that is something that I cannot really subscribe to at all and that you will never see in China. It's not gonna happen in China for sure and I believe that this is actually one of the areas where we could learn from China. We often think that China is socially so so poor and that they're so backward in many aspects but if you look at this area just as an example you see that China is doing much better here than us that's my that's my firm belief at least and if you look at, at this aspect and you see that China is much less traditional here and they are more liberal more authentic at the end as well as I always say we can learn a lot from China you don't have to love China you don't have to uh, in particular you don't have to like all the all the things and adapt everything but there are a lot of fields also in in, in, in social regard where they are ahead of us and where they might even be a proper role model and I think this whole topic is one very good example oh and I almost forgot to tell you my most famous Chinese female entrepreneur. Her name is Dongming Chu. She is the CEO. She's still the CEO. I think she's still the CEO of the world's largest um, residential air conditioner manufacturer. Um, yeah, I'm not sure if, she, if she's a retiring. Uh, she already retired, but she definitely used to be for decades. I uh, read her biography. You can you can check that Dongming Chu. Uh, like Dong is like D-O-N-G and Ming, like, yeah, like, like you pronounce it. Um, it's, it's a very short and good read. Uh, she's a super interesting person. She had a very unique style of um, bringing this company up. A very special and, and, and interesting way how she dealt with suppliers, with employees. I think just reading this, this short uh, biography might be better than a... Harvard Business course in behavioral economics and it's something that uh, I definitely can suggest for, for everyone whether in business or not and for me it's just one example of the many very successful at the same time inspiring female Chinese entrepreneurs. Thanks for listening to the Dragonfolio China podcast. As you've kept listening until now, I assume you enjoyed the show and would appreciate a five-star rating on your podcast app, which allows other folks to learn about this important topic as well. For more fascinating insights into China and for easy ways to benefit, make sure to visit the website at dragonfolio.net. 